You know, I could uh, sit at home and sing, and uh, I can drive in my car and sing, and I do. But it isn't quite like when I'm with you guys. <laughs> yeah, I love y'all. It's, uh, it's just, this is a good place to be. Good place to be. We are going to finish the first chapter of John today. And at um, uh, three weeks per chapter, uh, we'll be on this for a while. <laughs> but we're not going to take three weeks for every chapter. Just, just this one. Would you stand with me? And let's read a passage of Scripture that apparently the college and career age have been looking at. Let's read the police report here, shall we? <clears throat> the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the truth and the life that is in your word. I pray for the, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to inhabit each one here. I pray that you would help us to receive what you have for us today, Father, and that nothing would be lost in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We talked about uh, John the Baptist quite a bit last week, and I mentioned that he's, uh, he appears in two chapters in the book of John. He's mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, in several others, but he appears in two and when you see him in paintings, very often you'll see him pointing. 
the artist will have him point him in this one. He's obviously pointing this way. Sometimes it's, you know, like this or pointing up. And the reason why artists tend to depict him that way is because the main reason that he came was to point to somebody, right? And that somebody was Jesus, the Messiah, the, the, the Holy One, the, the, the King of Israel, if you will. And, uh, and so that was what John's calling was. Over in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a poem that um, a lot of people, I say a lot of people, know, memorize, a lot of people know about. Uh, verse 5 of that poem says this, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Of course, the poem starts out, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And the reason why I uh, connect this with John is that this is an important principle in the kingdom of God. It's a very important principle. We think we would like for every season to be a season of explosive growth, a season of great joy, a season of wonderful worship services, and that's, you know, and if it's not, something's wrong. No. To everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven and sometimes it's it's a time to to scatter stones sometimes it's time to gather them sometimes it's a time to scatter sometimes it's a time to embrace sometimes it's a time to let go which is what john so beautifully illustrates the the, the world that we live in especially the culture that we're in is primarily all about acquiring get 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 store 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 save 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 be sure that you've got enough and that's that's very good advice if you're the one who's responsible for seeing to it that you're going to be able to make it tomorrow you know if you think that it depends on you then you need a good storehouse you really do but if it depends on somebody else and in this you know children Children aren't usually, every now and then you get a weird one, uh, but children are not usually great savers. They're not usually, you know, here's, here's a quarter, Johnny. Oh, I'm going to go put this in my piggy bank. No, it's like, you know, what can I buy for a quarter? You know, uh, I mean, money is meant to be spent kind of thing. And the reason why children are not particularly good savers is they're not worried about where it's coming from tomorrow. They're not worried about who's, who's got them because they trust the person that's over them. They trust, trust their parents. And now I'm not saying that we shouldn't say, I know that we started financial peace this week, so maybe I can be careful here. You know, uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't save anything. Uh, you know, that's not what I'm saying. Saving, saving, yes, Mario, I see that hand back there. Uh, saving kid. I'm certainly not opposed to saving, but that isn't the ultimate goal. I mean, we have to understand that, that's, that, it, that it all belongs to God. That isn't the key to your future. Now, saving as opposed to going in debt, yeah, but that's not the key to your future. I mean, you know, if you, uh, I remember when we were at the Lord's Chapel way back when, I don't know what we were doing. We were going to pay off something or something. I don't remember what we were doing. But I, I just remember one, uh, one family gave a big chunk of money. And I thought, oh, 
oh, that's pretty good. I didn't know that. He was, he was a songwriter. I didn't know he was that good a songwriter, actually. But, but he gave a big chunk of money. And I'll, and I'll never forget him getting up and saying, you know, I, I don't remember what it was. I think it was $75,000 or something like that. It, it was, and this was 30 years ago. So that was a lot of money. And he... Uh, and I remember him getting up and saying, you know, we'd gotten pretty smug about our little savings account and what we had. And they had just realized, you know, it really belongs to the Lord. And if he says give, give. So I'm not saying you shouldn't save, but I'm just saying that's not the key. That's, 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 not, that's not, what we're, it's not what we're going after. Jesus told a parable over in Luke chapter 12 about a man who was flourishing, had a great harvest. It all came in, and he, he went, man, I don't know what to do with all this harvest. I've got such a, uh, an issue here. And, he, and then he I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll build bigger barns, which being translated means I'll, I'll rent storage units, and I'll put my stuff in it because I've got too much stuff to put in my house. And God appeared to him that night and said, you fool. Tonight your soul's required of you. Now who gets this stuff? And so I wanted to, you know, I mean, this doesn't just apply to money. It doesn't just apply to money and it doesn't just apply to stuff. First of all, let me, let me go. I've got another slide here, and so I'm going to have to go ahead and, and read it. But, but anyway, uh, Jesus went on to say, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It doesn't just apply to money. It doesn't just apply to stuff. It, perhaps more importantly, it applies to people sometimes and families. You know, there comes a time in families, you, you, you start out with that little little bitty sweetheart there and then it you know grows up a little bit it becomes too embarrasses you publicly a few times and things like that uh and then you know gets a little bigger and they're just so much fun and then they become teenagers and they're just little stinkers but they still you know uh they're your little stinker and uh and you know and sometimes it's really difficult to finally go and now it's time because they have a life. And, you know, with, with, with friends, sometimes it's time to leave. I mean, not because, you know, they're not your friends anymore, but I know when we were in Zimbabwe, we made real close friends. Yeah, and when it came time to leave and come back here, when we went to Zimbabwe, I mean, what kind of, you know, and the berries have this situation right now with, with Jesse going over there. Sometimes there's a, I know for my parents, I'm, not, I'm an only child. And I know for my parents, it was kind of, you're moving where? Do they even have telephone service over there? You know, I mean, nowadays you kind of go, oh, yeah, you can Skype and all this business. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're talking the mid eighties now. Uh, in fact, I remember that uh, to make a phone call back to the United States, you had to call up, make an appointment. They would make the call for you. And sometimes within an hour of that appointment, they would call you and say, your, your connection has now been made. And the first Christmas we were over there, uh, we had just moved into the house we were in and they didn't have phone service yet because we'd only been there two weeks. 
And uh, some, some friends of some friends said, well, you can use our house. And so we, we went over to their house. We made the appointment. When it came time uh, for us to, to have that call, we drove over to their house on Christmas Day for Margaret to talk to her parents. And they were gone. And their gate and their wall was locked up. And their house, we climbed over that sucker. Their house was locked up. <laughs> And we heard the phone ringing. Yeah. You know the saying, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy? It wasn't one of our better Christmases. Sometimes, letting, sometimes there's a time that you have to let go in family. <laughs> the next two Christmases, her parents came and visited us. So, you know, yeah, so it kind of worked out pretty well. Uh, and churches, one of, one of the... One of the most important lessons that, I, that Brother Moore taught me at the Lord's Chapel was, and they, it's not my church. You know, I don't like to see people leave or come and go, but when, if God wants to put them somewhere else, absolutely. There's a group of pastors that I have lunch with once a month um, up, in, up in Nashville. Uh, some of them are from Clarksville and Hendersonville and Gullitsville and Murfreesboro. So we, we just all meet in Nashville. And uh, I kissed one of them this week. It caused quite a stir in the restaurant, <laughs> but it was on the cheek. And, uh, but, but the reason that I did was I had known this guy before. He'd had a church before, and it had been all about, you know, build, build, build. What's the latest growth techniques? Let's get it together here and everything. And he built this great big church, and, and it all fell apart. Uh, and, you know, he was kind of going back around for the second time, and he was talking about the things that... Uh, that he had been meditating on about, you know, what he had done wrong and what the Lord... And he said, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, uh, are you willing to pastor this town? I went, okay, and what does that mean? Well, what it actually means is whether people come to my church or not, they're, they're, they're the place that God has put me. So, you know, when I go to a, a restaurant, that waitress, you know, I, I'm her pastor. You know, she, she may have a pastor somewhere else, and she may never come to my church. But I need to, and I, so I kissed him. Uh, I said, you got it. Yeah, you got it. Because it's, it's about building a kingdom. And as, as somebody had said this morning, you know, uh, there's, the kingdom's a lot bigger than, than our little, little group here. It's a, lot, it's a lot bigger than Alan Jackson's little group down the road or Maury Davis's little group up the road. Uh, the kingdom is big. And that's what it is that we're actually building. One last point I want to make about letting go, and I don't know if this is for somebody here or not. I know it wasn't the first service. In life and death, there's times to let go. My mom was 84 uh, when, she, when she passed. Um, she'd been sick, a lot of you know, for over a decade, hadn't been able to get out of a wheelchair. And uh, she went in the hospital on a Saturday. It was just, you know, it wasn't, we weren't thinking she was going to be gone a week from then but she had been to the hospital several times by wednesday they were going you know hey it's a it's a uh, an intestinal blockage and we don't think we can really do surgery here or you know we can try i don't know if you'll survive it she didn't want that and uh, and so they sent her home with hospice and my dad up until that point in time been going man i don't know you know, maybe we ought to do this surgery, Ronnie. And I'm going, Dad, it's not our, it's not our decision. It's her decision. 
She's in her right mind. She doesn't want to have surgery. I, I, I respect that, you know. And I, I said, Dad, you guys have lived your entire lives to see Jesus. Mom hasn't, you know, she spent the last decade wondering why am I still here. You might need to let her go. When they sent her home, you know, they sent her home saying, hey, you know, we're going to bring hospice in, but this, this uh, intestinal blockage, this could, get, this could get rough. You know, we don't know how long this will take. But my dad hit the point where he went, okay, yeah, I'll let her go. She went at 7.30 the next morning. It was great. I fully believe if he had gone, uh-uh, no. It would have not been quite the blessing that it was. There's, there are times to let go, and John understood that. John had this ministry, had these disciples, these people following him, but when the time came, he went, there. That's the one. This isn't mine. I'm simply the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. A little, little real life here, or as, uh, as Justin calls it, a police report. Uh, John was almost certainly the other disciple who, uh, along with Andrew, who went and followed him. Uh, first of all, John never mentions himself in the first person in his gospel. Uh, so when he's talking about a disciple doing something and he doesn't say who it is, it's, it's, it's him. Uh, the rest of the time he goes more than any of the other gospel writers, he goes to great lengths to say exactly who it was that did this. Thomas uh, did this. Philip asked this question. Nathaniel said this. The only place in his gospel where he doesn't specifically name everybody is over in chapter 21 where that bunch of them went fishing and, and he forgot a couple of names. Uh, he, I mean, he said, oh, there was Simon Peter. There was uh, uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee. There was Thomas called Didymus. Uh, Let's see, officer, who else uh, could it be? Uh, the two sons of Zebedee. Uh, and then he went, oh, and, uh, oh, and, and, and two, two others, two other guys went. You know, the rest of the time, he, he nails it. So, and besides that, it, it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, come on, who knows that? Except for the people who were there. And, and also regarding the disciples, we, we, tend to have a, we tend to have this vision of Jesus coming by and and seeing them for the first time and going, follow me, you know, and, and the disciple going, mm. but that's, uh-uh. Uh these, these guys had been hanging out with John the Baptist. They, he had been mentoring them all along. They'd been hearing about the one to go. They were set up. They were ready. They were in relationship. And so they followed Jesus. And when Jesus saw them following him, he turned around to them and said, what do you want? Because when Jesus sees somebody following him, that's inevitably the question. And it's not, it's not, a, it's not, a, uh, it's not a put, it's not a what do you want, you know, that, like we would do oftentimes. No, it's, it's what do you want. And it's not, it's not a question for him, it's a question for us. Because he knows. He knows what we need. He knows what we want. He knows what we desire. He's going, do you know why? Have you, have you even thought about it? Why? Whatever it is, I've got it for you, but do you know what it is? 
And they asked him where he was staying. And I love the fact that Jesus didn't just give them information. You know, he didn't, he, he didn't say, I'm staying at 1422 uh, uh, Barnabas Way over here. Why don't you come by and see me sometimes? No. He, he said, come on. Come and see. And, and in fact, he, he didn't just go, you know, I'm going there. I'll give you the address. You come. He went, let me come with me. Jesus' invitation is always an invitation into a relationship. We have often turned the gospel message into primarily something about heaven and hell. And, you know, that certainly is a part of the message. There's, there's, there's certainly a, uh, a component of that, but that is not the core of the message. I'm not exactly sure when it started. It certainly didn't start in the New Testament. Uh, it was there by the medieval Roman church for sure. And, and it really took root in this country big time in the uh, revival movements of the 19th century. But the leading question really shouldn't be if you were to die right now, where would you go? Because most of the people that you're asking that question of have no idea that there's anywhere to go. Uh, the cemetery, I guess. Most of, the, most of them, especially in the culture that we live in now, and, and really seriously, if I die right now, I'm feeling pretty good. Why should I think I'm going to die right now or today or tonight? What kind of a question is that? And I know, I mean, it's, it's a question to get people to consider beyond. But I think that we've probably had our heaven and hell inoculations enough in this culture that most people are pretty immune to that question. And it's not like I say the heart of the gospel. The real question should be something like this. Are you weary? Are you disillusioned? Are you lonely? Are you confused? Are you uncertain about the future? They know the answers to those questions. And they're questions for right now. It isn't, well, what if this happened? Would this? No, it's, where are you right now? Do you, do you need something? Is something seriously missing in your life? The heart of the equation is alone versus included, isolated versus connected, re rejected versus restored. Which, which, where are you, and which one of those would you rather have? Because that's what that's what Jesus's invitation is. Jesus. You know, John the Baptist did repent, preach repentance, and Jesus preached repentance. But Jesus' message was this. Come unto me, everyone who is weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I mean, you may work with people who are unbelievers, and they're really not concerned about hell, but they, they know what weary and heavy laden is all about. 
They'd like to find some rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm, I'm humble. I'm gentle. You'll find rest for your soul. You know, most of you who are a certain age anyway know that all you got to do is live in, in, a, in a fallen world, in a fallen, broken world long enough and your soul gets weary. Really does. It needs refreshing. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You thirsty? That's, that's the question. It's about coming into relationship. The connector is coming to me. It's not just get your fire insurance and then go home and watch me on television. Yeah. It's get, be, be connected with me, with, with the body of Christ. When Jesus said, whatever you've done unto one of the least of these, you've done unto me, he's talking about us. I mean, look, look around. Look at somebody next to you. I mean, so I'll know that your heads can move and that, that you're actually still awake and still with me. Look at somebody. That's who he's talking about. You're looking in the face of Christ. It's what you're doing. Some people go, well, you know, I've been hurt in church. and Well, you've been hurt in a doctor's office, but you keep going back to it. Seriously. I mean, and, and a lot of people in the world, you know, and I'm not, I'm not being facetious here. A lot of people in the world, a lot of times, you know, their, their most meaningful and deepest connections are in the bars. Yeah. I mean, you know, don't sit there like you don't know what a bar is. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And, and uh, you know, and, and a lot of times it's not... So much the alcohol, it's somebody to hang out with that you can get real with. Yeah. Well, has anybody ever been hurt in a bar? Probably. But you keep going back to them. Yeah. If, I, if I were to say, how many of you love your parents? Almost everybody would raise their hand. Okay, yeah, especially if your parents are here right now, happen to be looking at you. But then combine that with a question, how many of you have been hurt by your parents? Of course, yeah. And he doesn't just want you to come and visit with him once or twice a week at Springhouse. It's about a relation. I want to come and live inside of you. Come with me. And when we encounter Jesus, we are changed. When we encounter Jesus, we don't stay the same. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Andrew's often looked upon as, as uh, uh, the evangelist among the disciples. He brought Simon Peter to Jesus. He's the one who brought the uh, the, the little boy with five loaves and two fishes to Jesus. And, of course, John tells us that because he always names the disciples who are doing stuff. Uh, he's, uh, he's the one who brought the, uh, the Greeks over in John chapter 12 to Jesus. Uh, and so he's, he's looked upon as an evangelist. And he goes and gets his... I guess, he, I guess once he meets Jesus, he goes, Boy, if there's anybody I know who needs to meet Jesus, it's my brother. And so he goes... <laughs> he goes and gets Simon... And Simon comes uh, 
to Jesus and, and Jesus uh, looks at him and he says, you're Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is, is Peter. True encounter with God changes us. The uh, archetypical example in the Old Testament is, is uh, Jacob wrestling with the angel. And when he wrestled with the angel, he got to the place where finally the angel touched his hip and, and uh, went out of socket and he became lame. <laughs> that wasn't necessarily the change he was looking for, but as a change that he got. And sometimes it's a change that we get because it's what we need. And, and he also got his name changed from Jacob to Israel. Before that encounter with God, uh, uh, he was, he, yeah, it's, he, was, he, would, he would cheat you. He'd, uh, he'd, he'd do you out of uh, any deal he could do you out of. He'd take advantage of all your weaknesses and things like that and then run off in the middle of the night and, and leave with all the stuff. That was Jacob. Israel was a completely different person after he'd had an encounter with God. You never see him doing any of that stuff again. In fact, some of it's kind of done to him. So I go, well, I don't know. You know, do I want to be the hammer or the nail? Well, you want to be the Israel, not the Jacob. Is what, is what you want to be because... God takes care of things for you. And even if, even if you've got a bunch of rascal sons who try to make you think that one of the sons is dead, God still is in everything at work for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose once that change takes place. And it, and it does take place. When I came to the Lord in my mid-20s, I, I'd known the Lord, but I, when I came back to the Lord, uh, the first time that I read this verse, well, I was just going to, okay, Peter, uh, uh, Simon is is a reed blown in the wind. Well, let me talk about him, then I'll talk about me. Simon is a reed blown in the wind, and, and that's exactly what he was. He was the kind of guy who at one minute was going, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the very next minute were, were, was rebuking him and going, Lord, you can't do that. Uh, wait a minute. Am I the Christ, the Son of the living God, and who are you? Yeah. He was the kind of guy who one minute was going, why can't I follow you where you're going? I'll, I will die with you. And before the night was over, was going, I don't know that guy. Don't know who he is. In fact, put a few choice words with it in declaring that he didn't know who he was. So he, in fact, was a, a reed blown in the wind, but he needed to be made into something strong. Cephas means rock. Peter means rock. That's what it is. And what happened to Peter is what happened to me. I mean, the first time I came across this verse after coming back to the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. It was one of those moments in reading the Bible that, uh, that happened in my life. Because I was going, wow, yes. I mean, just, just a few weeks ago, I was... Wanting this and going after that and that was I'd wake up in the morning thinking about that and I came to the Lord and a lot of that stuff just went poof I have no desire for it anymore Now I wish all of it had gone poof You know there hadn't been any struggle left there, but that's not the way that it works But clearly he does make he does make a, a, a change in our lives and sometimes we, before we come to the Lord, we kind of think, well, that's a rejection of my true self. You know, he wants to make me into, you know, one of those kind of people. You know, that's not the kind of person that I am. No, 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 no. He created you. He knows exactly what will fulfill you. He knows exactly what, what you, you were meant to be, intended to be. 
And that's what he will do inside of you. I mean, what, what you're thinking right now is, is stinking thinking, as they say. It's, 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 it's an illusion, you know, you, most of the time. How many people do you know who chased after what the world has to offer, whether it's wealth or fame or power or whatever it may be? How many of them do you think come to the end of their days going, boy, I got it and it was everything I hoped it would be? Like nobody always get there and go wow I got it and is this it but that's not the way that it is in the Lord in fact Colossians 2.10 and I got to hurry here says in Christ you have been brought to fullness and I don't have time to dwell on it but Psalm 16.6 and we've We've sung it and we talk about it a lot here. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. That's what a lifetime of walking with the Lord. That's where that takes you. Whatever that inheritance may happen to be. And you know, your pleasant inheritance might not be something that I'm all that excited about. Well, he knows that he created you for that. Me for something else. Peter's transformation... I just want to make this point also. It wasn't a one-and-done deal. It wasn't like, you know, Peter, bam, all of a sudden. Jesus didn't say, uh, um, you're Simon, son of John, now you're Peter. He said, you will be. And it was a will-be process. And yes, the, the Peter who stood up on the day of, of Pentecost and, and boldly proclaimed the gospel, yeah, that was... You know, he was a hoss, but he's also the same Peter who Paul had to rebuke at Antioch for being a coward. Yeah, he had a little relapse every now and then. He'd fall off the wagon a little bit. You thought you were the only one? We tend to get discouraged because you know what's going on in here. I know what's going on in here. And I, and, and I have a, a tendency to kind of go, I, man, I thought I was better than that. I thought I was a little further along down the road than that. <clears throat> yeah. But fortunately, I've read the Bible enough to know that there are people that I look at as being, wow, they were, they were all the way down the road. No, they weren't. They, they still dealt with stuff. But here's the good news. The results are guaranteed. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Does anybody know what the verse before that one says? That would be Romans 8, 28. In everything, God is at work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, because those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what the purpose is. That's, that's what he's doing. So, you know, some bad stuff comes down the road and some bad stuff's happening, and you kind of go, I, where is God? Well, he's right there. He's in the middle of it. You're being turned into the image of Jesus. Dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but 
We know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's his work and it's guaranteed. Let me finish up here with a few words about Nathaniel, who must have been a crackerjack. Uh, starts off with, when he hears about Messiah, he goes, can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, you, he's famous for having said that. He actually said some other things, but he's famous for having said that. And the answer was, and always is, yes, and it's not just about Nazareth. Because God made it all. So regardless of where or what people group or what ideology may be, can, any, can anything good, you know, come out of... Somebody suggest something? Antioch, yes, okay. No, I, I was kind of thinking... I, 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 I've sort of had uh, Iran or Russia or, you know... I was thinking a little more globally. Yes. Can anything good come out of that group of... Can anything good come out of an undocumented alien? Yes. Can anything good come out of a liberal? How about a ditto head? That's a... Never mind. If you don't know, you don't need to know. The answer is always yes. Because God is the one who brings good out of things. And then I, I love, well, I, I say I love, I can't help but smile at Nathaniel's modesty. He comes to Jesus. Jesus says, here's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Here, here is a really good man. And Nathaniel goes, how did you know? Was it something about, is it something about my hair? I mean, you know, what is it? <laughs> and I don't know. Jesus, you know, had to, he kind of go, yeah, I'm going to have fun with this one. Uh, and then he said, well, I saw you. I saw you sitting under your fig tree. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel goes, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And if Jesus ever scratched his head, I got a feeling that this must have been that time. You know, they don't, uh, and the translators of the NIV don't put a question mark after it, but I can't help but think that Jesus actually said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? That's how you're, that's, that's how you know I'm Messiah? See, Peter wasn't the first one to proclaim him the Son of God, but he just was the first one to do it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Nathaniel had a little flesh thing going there. I mean, this guy thinks I'm great already, and he saw me under a fig tree. He must be son of God. <laughs> Jesus said, let me, you're going to see, you're really going to see something. Stay with me. You're really going to see some things. You're going to see the angels of heaven ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's referencing a dream that uh, Jacob had over in Genesis Chapter 28, in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and, and descending upon it. And Jesus said, that was me. I'm that stairway. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So meeting Jesus is an invitation Four things. It's an invitation to know him. 
Not just know about him, but to know him. Come and see. Come, come spend some time with me. It's an invitation to be changed. Once again, the people you work with, the people you are associated with on a regular basis, they, they may not have any concern about heaven or hell or any of those kind of things, and they just sort of push it aside. But they, like, they know this isn't the way they wanted to turn out. They know this wasn't the result they were hoping for. Change would be a good thing. It's an invitation to take a journey because it's a process. It's not just, you know, oh, good, you came to Jesus. Bam. Enjoy. Uh, it's, it's, it's a process. Don't be discouraged. Nothing that we do for the Lord can ever be in vain. He began a good work in you. He'll complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He has a vision for you, and it's to make you look like Jesus. And it's an invitation to see the impossible. To see things far beyond anything you can ever imagine seeing. You walk with Jesus, you'll see some stuff. You know, I don't care if you believe in miracles or not. You will see some stuff. You'll see changes happen in people's lives. You'll see mountains get moved. You may see the valley of the shadow of death, but you'll have him right there with you. You will see some stuff. Would you stand with me? And with those who are going to pray for people, uh, they would... Come forward right now. Uh, and those who need prayer, everyone with a broken ankle, uh, <laughs> or whatever your need may be, or, and it may not even be for you. He's concerned about the little stuff. The big stuff is no problem for him. The problem comes whenever we've been dealing with something for so long. And it's just been seemed so impossible that we just kind of set it aside and sort of go, well, <sighs> mm -mm. you come, you come. If you want to meet Christ, you need, you're weary, you're thirsty, you need some soul rest, feel stressed and heavy laden, come, come, we'd love to, come and see, we'd love to introduce you to him. If you don't need to come, just sing with us for a few moments. We'll wait, we'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. I believe in the power of your presence to change me, Lord. I believe in the power of your presence to change me, Lord. Have your way. Change me, Lord, to have your way in my life. Leave me, Lord.
As you go forth this week, remember what the right questions are when you're dealing with those around you who don't know the Lord. Raise your hand. We give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world to redeem us, to bring us into relationship with him so that we might be included and not excluded. May you feel his presence. May you have the joy of making the journey with him. And may you have the assurance in your heart of what he is doing in you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.